You're listening to 4 Z. This is the Women on the Edge series. We're, We're working, working together, together to, bring to bring more women, women to radio. radio. Tune in for the next hour to hear our stories. You're listening to Women on the Edge on Z Digital. I'm Justine Riley, and this is the other side of the story. Today's episode tells a story that has the potential to deeply affect the life of every welfare recipient of working age in Australia. It's the story of income management. It began with schemes targeting First Nations peoples, missions, rations, stolen wages. In more recent times, it has taken the form of the Basics Card, part of the Northern Territory intervention that began in 2007. Now we are into the next chapter as the federal government pushes for the implementation of the Cashless Debit Card, also known as the Cashless Welfare Card. Under the Cashless Welfare Card scheme, 80% of a person's income is made available only through the card and just 20% of their income is available as cash, the way that people would normally receive income into their bank account. According to the government's thinking, the card is supposed to prevent the individual from spending their income on alcohol, gambling and illicit drugs. Unfortunately, although they say, oh, it's not a silver bullet, that is quite clearly how they see it. They see it as a a silver bullet that if you control somebody's expenditure, you'll magically make them change behaviours and address issues like drug and alcohol addiction, gambling. That was Greens Senator Rachel Seawitt speaking in November 2017, just after a Senate inquiry into the cashless debit card. Rachel was integral to that Senate inquiry and has been fighting income management since the Northern Territory intervention of 2007. We'll hear more from her later in the show. Last year's Senate inquiry brought a flood of submissions questioning and criticising the scheme. Submitters included the Australian Council of Social Service, the Australian Human Rights Commission, the Australian Council of Single Mothers and the Australian Bankers Association. So far, the card has been rolled out in two trial sites, Seduna in South Australia and East Kimberley in Western Australia, both with significant Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander populations. Those trials began in 2015. At the time I was researching this show, in late 2017, the federal government was working to pass the Social Services Legislation Amendment, Cashless Debit Card Bill, 2017, and they battled it out in the Parliament for weeks, which turned into months. Eventually, early in 2018, they lost that round of their battle, and the bill was voted down. But as we go into 2018, the government's plan to keep rolling out the card is still on the table, and they did manage to amend the scheme enough to roll it out into one more trial site, the Goldfields region of Western Australia, 
taking in Kalgoorlie and Boulder. If the government's proposed bill had gone through, it would have taken all stops off the current trials. It would have removed the trial's end date, the 30th of June 2018, and it would have removed current limits on the number of trial sites and the number of participants. They've now reached their limit of three trial sites, but it's clear they're not letting go of this scheme. Creep, creep, creep. And this is what they... It's, it's called mission creep. Mission creep. And... Mission creep. That was Catherine Wilkes, a disability pensioner who has been central to coordinating the campaign against the cashless welfare card since trials began in Seduna. Taking the limits off the trial sites would have allowed the federal government to expand the scheme to Queensland's Hinkler electorate, taking in the Bundaberg and Harvey Bay region, where Catherine happens to live. Initially, the Hinkler trial was to apply to all income support recipients under 35 and on Newstart, Youth Allowance for Job Seekers and payments for single and partnered parents. However, the legislation was effectively giving the government the power to apply the cashless debit card scheme to any recipient of Social Security under the age of 65 across Australia, including those on a disability support pension or carer allowance. So where did the cashless debit card come from? The card, operated by Tawong-based financial services company Indu, has an interesting backstory. In September 2017, The Guardian reported that former Nationals MP Larry Anthony was a director of Inju between 2005 and 2013, according to the Australian Securities and Investments Commission. The year that Anthony stepped down as director of Inju, Tony Abbott was voted in as Prime Minister, and Anthony became president of the Federal National Party. One of Abbott's first tasks as PM was to commission a report by mining magnate Andrew Twiggy Forrest into how Australia could create greater parity between First Nations people and other Australians. Through his Mindaroo Foundation, he published the Forest Review. Among its recommendations was a scheme that he dubbed the Healthy Welfare Card Scheme, an income management system aimed at First Nations peoples quarantining 100% of their income support. I spoke more with Catherine Wilkes about the origins of the card. If we can just backtrack a little bit how this recommendation came about. So as I understand it, Tony Abbott got in as Prime Minister and one of his first orders of business was oh. to commission a report by... Twiggy Forrest. Creating, the Creating Parity Report, yep. So if we go back to then, what's your understanding of that process? I have looked at it. I don't understand how a non-elected person can form policy. I guess that's what seems to be happening here is Twiggy Forest says and the government jumps. And now um, it's Mindaroo Corporation. Mindaroo, yes. Mindaroo Group that's running things now. So um, again, how can a charity be promoting government policy? And initially, it was meant to be about um, Indigenous inequality. Is that Was that the, the initial well, the, report? The original idea was to give it to Indigenous people, but unfortunately, you've got to get around the um, Racial Discrimination Act. Yep. But they've basically got away with doing that anyway because the areas that the card is in are predominantly Indigenous areas. But they only rolled it out to all in those areas to get around the Discrimination Act. Now, Seduna was told it would only be targeted to the people that needed it and ended up every payment from 18 years of age through to 64 years of age, including DSP and carers, is on the card. How did you first hear about this policy? Believe it or not, I was watching the Senate one day and it must have been just a particular day, the Senate inquiry for the trial of the Seduna rollout Mm -hmm. and I overheard the testimony given by the residents that were against the card and how they were being 
run down by the mayor and I thought that was quite horrific and I ended up, I started a page called We Don't Need Income Management originally. I uh, connected with the Seduna group for a while there and we we tried to fight the card from being bought in. Uh, we organised rallies around the country. Of course, media didn't want to know. Um, and around about what time was this? We, we did a rally in the March and then we did another one in November. And, and um, where, were, where were they held? Seduna did one in, in March. Uh, Adelaide, uh, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane all got involved. And again, the second one, Brisbane, Melbourne and Sydney got involved with the, the next round of rallies. But uh, we couldn't get media, we couldn't get, um, we couldn't get heard. It made it very difficult. And all we heard was the Mindaroo stuff and the Twiggy Forest and Alan Tudge. We call it the Alan Tudge's Fudges. What's the Fudges? <laughs> Tudge's Fudges, you fudge the figures. Oh, yeah, yeah. The question is, what's your take on why is it so difficult for the campaign to be heard in the media? For some reason, they don't want the Indu terms and conditions made very public. They don't want the which terms and conditions, sorry? The Indu terms and conditions, the the terms and conditions by which the cardholder is contracted to the private company Indu. They don't want that out in the public. We've questioned that. We've questioned them in DSS meetings and they try anything they can to distance themselves from those terms and conditions. Because once the person is on the card, they are subject to that company's terms and conditions. And if you've read the terms and conditions, it's horrific because it removes the person's privacy, it removes their human rights protections, and it removes their consumer protections at law. So for right? for the average listener, if they're thinking, all right, for example, I'm on the DSP, um, I'm worried about the cashless debit card coming to my region, what would it mean for their everyday life? For if they somebody, have a cashless what? debit card... And they're on the DSP, they're on it for life. Yep. And, and what no does it mean off. in their day-to-day life when they're going about their business trying to mean pay rent, etc.? Depends on their rental situation. If they're in a third-party rental situation where they're sharing or they're renting a room and they pay cash for their rent and utilities, depending on how the lead tenant accepts that, they can end up homeless. What situation do you need to be in to be able to pay rent through this system? To pay rent in this system, you need to be in government housing or you need to have a private housing where the owner will accept centre pay or where the owner will consent to um, Indu taking over, receiving the payments rather than that person paying their rent directly to the landlord, whichever way the landlord normally deems fit. And would a, would a landlord um, find disadvantages in that situation? Is there, are there reasons why yes. they would be against that? Yeah, we have a great deal of landlords here in the Hinkler region that will not sign up for CenterPay because they don't want to give all their financial information to CenterLink. They also have to pay, I think it's 99 cents each time they receive a payment to CenterPay to use the service. But a lot of landlords don't want to give up their private information, which under RTA regulations, they're not obliged to. And apart from rent, what are what are the other implications I mean there's there's vendors who would theoretically sign up to um, the Inju system how are people excluded from the economic system if they're on this card how are they excluded from the economic system the lack of access to cash cuts them straight out of the cash economy which means that for people on sentiment payments who rely solely on the cash economy we buy everything secondhand we go to the cheapest place we can to get our cars fixed. We buy cars secondhand. We make agreements with private people to pay off things in cash, okay? Mm. All that's gone. People with kids, right, they buy secondhand computers, school uniforms and supplies for schools. They've got not, not enough access. The 20% cash cannot carry the load that it is expected to carry. And their answer is, oh, but you can buy new on the Indu card. Well, if your fridge breaks down, nobody can afford to buy a new fridge at Harvey Norman on any type of payment. Mm. Not, you know, it's just not possible. Indu take over your bill payments and they put them into categories and they have limits on those categories. They control the, the bill paying. The card doesn't always work, as a lot of people are finding out. Even at the places where it's meant to work? Yes. Yep. It, it declines quite often. 
And for things that... See, this mentality that it should be only for food, rent and basic clothing is beyond stupidity because we don't live in a society that lives that way. You know, um, there is a lot more to living apart from living in an empty house and paying the rent, the electricity and buying some food. You have to be able to make that place a home. You have to be able to have access to being able to buy things secondhand, a lounge, beds, washing machine, fridge. You're listening to Women on the Edge on Z Digital. Digital. You're tuned to Z Digital, and this is Women on the Edge. I'm Justine Riley, and today we're hearing the mostly untold story of the cashless welfare card in Australia. We'll go back to our interview with Catherine Wilkes, a major campaigner against the card. The reasoning for the policy, they're saying it's about, basically it's about addiction, saying that, you know, for those who are doing the right thing, they'll be fine. The people who are buying uh, cigarettes and alcohol and drugs and, and gambling, it's for them. Well, what do you say to that cigarettes proposition? Are alla- cigarettes are allowed on the cashless welfare card. Mm-hmm. And I myself am a smoker and I pay 85% excise tax on every packet of cigarettes I buy. So 
not on not paying taxes. Branding everybody as a drunk, alcoholic. Twiggy Forest went as far as pedophile. Is absolutely abhorrent. And it's working really well in the Hinkler region. We now have people on social media who can't wait to exploit people if they're put onto the card. Because as far as they're concerned, everybody that's going to be on the card is a loser, a bludger, a drug or a druggie. And they're a waste of space. So we've seen today and last night, somebody thought it would be a joke to set up a thing offering to make a pornographic movie asking for people for cashless welfare card and desperate. That's what it will be called. And we've gone right off about it because it's disgusting because it it will entice pedophiles to the areas that the card is in. By depriving people of cash, many people will be forced to do things they've never done in their lives to get cash. So it's the smokescreen of drugs and alcohol when 98% of people aren't even partaking. They're too busy trying to raise their kids, feed their kids and just get through fortnight to fortnight and put up with all the rubbish from the job agencies. Parents are being attacked. Kids will be bullied at school. We know they will. Mm. Right, the social inclusion will be gone. It'll be socially exclusive for everybody because it's going to ripple through the whole community. People cannot live in this society with 20% cash. It's $57 a week for somebody on Newstar. We don't have adequate public transport for when somebody's car breaks down, they can't replace it. People can't take out loans. People can't pay off loans. So it's, 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 a, it's a destroying thing. It's going to mentally and financially destroy people. It has already created a divide in the community and it isn't even here yet. You've already got people hating people just because of their income source and because they're under 35 and because they're parents or they're students. There's this idea of it being about helping people with addictions, but addiction is a clinical mental health issue and um, this isn't treating it like a clinical mental health issue. No, this is a punishment. Okay. Now, the thing is with addiction is you have to have services for people to be able to get better. And an addict won't get better until they're on rock bottom. They've got to do it themselves. Putting a card in somebody's hand and saying, you are now going to quit being an alcoholic will kill somebody. Whether it be the person trying to go through a forced detox or they may hurt someone around them. Putting a person on the card and saying you are now going to be dry of ice is ridiculous. We don't have the services here with what's been cut from the Liberal government last time round and the federal Liberal government. Our services cannot cope for the fallout that will come. And they're throwing $1 million into an area that covers 142,000 people across four regions in our area and saying... There's your $1 million wraparound services for Harvey Bay, Childers, Howard and Bundaberg regions. That is a joke. It's, it cannot cure addiction. It's, I mean, how can you walk up to somebody who's an addict and say, here's the plastic card you cured? It's just ridiculous. But it will create stigma. Yeah. And for the other 98% of people who don't have those addictions, right, the parents that have got to go shopping in a shopping centre are going to be called bludger, loser. The single parents are going to get told you should have closed your legs, right? The, the embarrassment and the shame and the abuse, and we know it's going to come because we're seeing it online in Bundaberg now, all right? And we've copped it on the ground when we've been at Bundaberg in the central business district, rallying against the card, collecting signatures against the card. And some of our people work, and have jobs, and all they've copped is get a job, you bludger. Uh, and, and far worse. I mean, we've been trolled like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. <laughs> Spending all my
have a disability? Do you love radio and have a passion you'd like to tell people about? Community Radio 4 Z holds monthly radio groups with people with a disability in the community. If you live on the north side, you can join our group at the Nunda Activity Centre and on the south side, we're at the West End Community House. Check out the website of the Ability Radio Project to find out more. That's abilityradioproject.wordpress.com The Ability Radio Project is a project of Community Radio for Triple Z. You're tuned to Z Digital, and this is Women on the Edge. I'm Justine Riley, and today we're hearing the story of the cashless welfare card in Australia. We'll go back to our interview with Catherine Wilkes, a major campaigner against the card. Do you have any understanding of where all of this income management stuff has come from? Has it just come out of the blue, starting with the basics card, or is it... Is it a is it a particularly Australian thing? Is it in other parts of the world? They tried it in other parts of the world. It's been it's been scrapped. Uh, they tried to do a trial of it in England in 2014, and it was scrapped under EU human rights and international human rights laws on the grounds that it discriminated against addicts. But they have very strong human rights laws over there. Apparently, Canada tried it on. They scrapped it. It's it doesn't work. And you have the SNAP food program in the US and that's drug dealers carry FPOS machines. Everybody knows how to get around the system. So my understanding is income management prior to the cashless welfare debit card started off in the late 80s as like a cash card and it was voluntary. It was asked for by Aboriginal women. Then it, it morphed into the basics card. Um, originally, it was voluntary, and it came with supports, uh, mentor, budgeting, and cooking classes, and it was voluntary, and you could get off of it. And then the LMP came along and made it, throughout the intervention, they made it compulsory for all Aboriginals. And then, because of the human rights and the racial discrimination, they made it compulsory for all in the Northern Territory that were on New Start or Youth Allowance. It's compulsory, it's not voluntary, it doesn't have any supports around it that it has, and it's, and it's been a failure all the way through. Absolute failure all the way through the last 10 years. And then we get Twiggy Forest come up with the welfare card through the Creating Parity, and it's morphed into what it is today, and it's like, oh my God, this is just on steroids. It's, it's about removing people's rights Basically, it's making people a lesser citizen because their citizenship rights are gone. They're not equal to their next-door neighbour. When you think of the word welfare, everyone faring well, what would be your Uh, ideal version of Australia in terms of welfare? We need to stop calling it welfare. Welfare is to do with your health and your well-being and your hospitals and your services and your mental health services, nothing to do with your income, right? Welfare is a derogatory, it's got a derogatory feeling about it. It's, it, we used to call it social security and people used to be accepting of that. Then we became doll bludgers on welfare. Do you understand? It turned it into a negative. We need to get away from that. We need to recognise that this country needs a solid safety net that is enough for people to be able to pay rent, buy food, buy clothes, and for their children to be included in society. We need to get back to that. You know, it's not the person's fault that the industry has been shut down. We've shut down 93% of our manufacturing industry in the last 30 years. Mm. You can't blame people for not having jobs when everything's gone overseas. I don't know, welfare. It's like it's like it did it did mean yeah it did mean health and well being and it's become something else yeah because it's become the Americanized term of somebody's on welfare that's a bad thing whereas when we were on social security your next door neighbour didn't treat you like a leper because you're on social security but now you're on welfare you're a bludger you're a loser you you know they've managed to change. The language and the language needs to go back and we need a lot more empathy compassion and caring within our society because 
um, at the moment, most people don't know who their neighbours are. No one's there to help. They don't care if somebody doesn't have family. We, we are seeing it all through government. We're seeing it through their policies, their punitive measures. We're seeing it in the papers. And it's like, my God, we, we're supposed to be this multicultural, diverse, inclusive society, and we are fractured in so many different ways. And at the moment, I'll put it quite frankly, the way that they've done it, Anybody on a Centrelink payment are the new Jews. That's the way people are starting to be treated. And it's, they're talking social exclusion, financial exclusion. You're different because you're on a, a payment. And it's got to the point now, whereas in the past, they never bothered anybody who was on a DSP. Uh, I've been abused. Oh, but you can talk. So why haven't you got a job? Um, because I was injured at work and I can't work. Oh, but you can stand here and talk to me. You seem pretty foreign to me. Everybody's got a judgment. You know what I mean? Mm. We didn't have that before until the last four or five years. It's really come up. Well, I'm on a DSP and I'm a sole parent, okay? And I live in transitional housing for homeless people. <laughs> and I'm stuck in the system that I can't get out of. My daughter is 17. At the moment, she's about to start a diploma in Brisbane and will be bouncing backwards and forwards from Harvey Bay to Brisbane. But if, if this card rolls in, she can't come home to live. I've got to find somewhere else to live away from the target area. Otherwise, she'll get trapped on it. If she was to go on to youth allowance, she'll be trapped on it. And what people don't understand is kids cannot access hex loans for TAFE and university unless they sign up for youth allowance. They have to sign up to the system to get access to study. And then they're saying all these kids you know, they shouldn't be going on welfare. They don't have a choice. They can't go to university or TAFE without it. And they haven't committed a crime coming out of high school or turning 18, yet they face being put on the car. So if people want to follow this issue, what are the what are the best places that they can go for information? The No Cashless Welfare Debit Card Australia page. There's a No Cashless Debit Card Hinkler Region page, which is a group page, and there's the Say No 7 page on Facebook. The Say No 7 page has all of the information at academic level. Our other pages are public pages that the public join in more with, you know what I mean? Yep. But, um, yeah, so you can find a lot of information. On the Hinkler page, we have uh, the pinned post at the top that's got huge amounts of information on the main big pinned post, and you can also find more information in our files section on the left of the page. So they're the main pages. Listening to 4ZZZ Sister Station on the digital spectrum, Z Digital. You're tuned to Women on the Edge on Z Digital. I'm Justine Riley, and today we're hearing all about the cashless debit card, which is being trialled in a few sites across Australia and which the federal government has been trying to push out further. Basically, they had legislation earlier this year that was trying to push out the card right across Australia and it looks like the government isn't going to back down on that. I was speaking with Catherine Wilkes earlier about the scheme. Also, while I was researching this story in late 2017, I spoke with Green Senator Rachel Seawitt, who was integral in the Senate inquiry into the cashless welfare card and who's been an opponent of income management since the Northern Territory intervention of 2007. We'll hear more from Rachel now. First of all, uh, could you introduce yourself? I'm Senator Rachel Seawitt. I'm the Australian Green Spokesperson on Family and Community Services, but also Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander issues. Okay, and I'm 
mainly doing the story on the cashless debit card, but I just wanted to put it in context. There's three bills going through or that are trying to get through at the moment um, that are to do with welfare and housing. Is that right? Um, yes, there's a number of bills. There's a, the so-called welfare reform bill, there's payment integrity bill, there's a housing affordability bill, and of course there's the cashless welfare card um, bill. Okay, and right now where is the proposed legislation up to? So in terms of the cashless welfare card, that legislation is still before the House of Representatives. It's There's a big question mark over whether that's actually going to be dealt with in the truncated House of Reps sitting, um, which I'm not very sad about, I've got to say. Um, so, because obviously I'm, I'm not in favour of that uh, legislation, but at this stage it's still in the House of Representatives. Does that mean it would uh, carry over to the new year? Well, that's I'm I'm guessing that. Yeah. Um, but who, really, honestly, who can predict what's going to happen next week? Yeah. Okay. So, just briefly, if this legislation is passed, who can expect to be affected if if this well, legislation it, is passed? To be honest, it, it could well affect uh, different groups of people, depending on the way it's apply, applied. And the reason I'm saying that is because, well, for a start, the legislation um, extends the trials, the so-called trials in the East Kimberley and Sojourner to the point where they really can be con no longer considered trials because they don't set an end date. There's no sunset clause like there was before. It also enables the rollout of um, the cashless welfare card in other areas. At the moment, the budget contains funding for two other trials and they've named the sites of you know, that Harvey Bay area and also the uh, in the Kalgoorlie area in my home state. Yeah. Um, but the legislation enables further rollouts. It'll end depending on whether the government's going to um, fund them. Now, it, from what we have seen from the government's announcements at the moment is that they're going to be applying it a bit differently in the wide in that wide bay um, area because it's going to apply to younger people, um, younger younger parents. Whereas in Sejuna and Kalgoorlie, it applies to um, anybody on a working age payment, basically. Right. So that that's a very and that includes um, disability support. Um, payments, etc. Mm. So in the Wide Bay area, the Hinkler electorate um, and the Kalgoorlie area, it's applying to anyone on Newstart up to, is it 30? 35. Five, um, mm. People on a single parent payment yeah. up to th yeah. the age of 35? Yeah. Um, now, but it's my understanding in Kalgoorlie, it's applying slightly differently again. Okay. Um, so... I know that you were quite involved in the Senate inquiry into this legislation. Um, what's been your main line of inquiry when it comes to the card? Well, a, a range of them. I've been very strongly focused on, you know, the evidence base the government is using for this. Um, I.e., is it um, does it work? I've also been very focused on, and that links then through to the the, the top-down sort of approach that they're they're taking. And the evidence that the government's putting forward through the so-called Wave 2 analysis or the ARIMA report um, is very flimsy. They draw, I think, very flawed conclusions from that. So we've been strongly pursuing that. And from our perspective, the evidence base just isn't there. I, I, I want to see the evidence base for, for significant policy changes, particularly one that is so punitive and... We're now seeing, we're now hearing the negative impacts it's having on people, and so I've been strongly pursuing uh, that um, for a start. What sort of negative impacts are you hearing about? Well, people people talk. One, if you look at the Arima report, there's you know a large number of people um, that say that. Um, it's had a negative impact on their lives. But then when you're actually, well, you hear from other people that have spoken, you hear from people directly and, and um, talk to people that are directly impacted. They talk about, for a start, how demoralising and demonising um, people feel about it. They talk about how they feel they've lost control over the most, you know, some of the most personal decision-making. Um, and then you, you hear about um, some of the actions that are being taken to circumvent it. Um, for example, doing, you know, I'm, a, I'm aware of people doing shopping for other people 
where the government, you know, the, the government claims, oh, look at this, there's a whole lot of people doing more shopping and they've even got lists as they walk around the supermarket. Yeah, well, they've got lists because they're doing the shopping for somebody else um, and then they pay on their card and get the cash. Um, that's just, that's not necessarily a, that, that's a, you know, change in behaviour. You hear, you, you hear um, of um, other accounts of, you know, long taxi rides that you... Um, that, in, that get debited to the card, um, you know, other ways of alcohol coming into communities, uh, the shifting of drinking behaviour, um, people leaving communities, you know, to some of them, you know, some other areas of people. You've heard stories of, of prostitution, um, to, and that's in you know smaller number of cases. But those are some of the things that people hear uh, tell you about. You also, in government claims they do this to reduce, also to reduce humbugging, so-called humbugging. But you know, there's reports of that significantly increasing. There's reports of increase. In fact, statistics are showing in some areas in in, in some areas of crime increases in crime, um, which the government tries to um, write off. Um, and there's also, in some areas, reports of increase in um, ag- ag- aggressive behaviours. So just, just to the practicalities on the ground, you look at the government website and it says um, you can use this card anywhere with FPOS um, to spend 80% of your income, um, except no grog, no gambling, no cash. What does that mean in reality? What what are people so, experiencing on the ground? So what I'm hearing on the ground is a um, that people have quite a lot of trouble using it. It gets rejected. Um, you they're still having to work out the provisions about how if you're in a if you're buying something in a um, venue where there's you know alcohol sold or things that are uh, banned from using the card you know there's a process you have to go through to just you know to be able to pay for um to be able to pay for the things that you are allowed to purchase on the card Uh, people talk about you know the problems see one of the big problems and negative impacts is the lack of access to cash and so much when you know when people are on a low income which if you're on income support ipso facto you're on a low income um use cash for and um the, there's a lot of complaints around uh, lack of access to cash. People still complain about the system not working properly, it going down, electricity, you know, electricity fails, etc. It not being able to be used, and people still report about not being able to use it elsewhere. Set Digital Brisbane's independent community radio. Mm. So that's the the kind of micro on the ground. I just wanted to quickly zoom out and go. Where, where did this policy arise from? I mean, I know we have had income management in Australia for a long time, um, but what is the thinking behind this? Okay, so you're right. We have had the, you know, the Northern Territory intervention and income management, which is what the cashless debit card is. It's income management, income quarantining. And I'll just, I'll just remind you listeners that you know, the evaluation um, of the Northern Territory intervention found that the of, of so-called new income management found that it met none of its objectives. So in other words, it didn't work. And, and as everybody knows, we still have massive disadvantage and inequity in the Northern Territory. So I'll, I'll just put that on the record. In terms of where it comes, the latest approach, which is the cashless welfare, I call it cashless welfare card, cashless debit card, or as it was first postulated, the healthy welfare card, comes from the forest um, so-called creating parity review. I think what what some people's objectives are um, for you know for people on income support. But of course, the report was particularly about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, and so the new this new approach um, comes from that um, uh, report and the pushing of the people that are backing that report. Okay, and there's this there's this drive to. Uh, am I right in hearing there's, there's a sort of a drive to push it out as far and wide as possible? Well, from some, you know, the government will deny that, um, but there's certainly people that are well on the record of wanting to claim it for their area and also 
you know, seeing, for example, claims about wanting to, to roll it out more widely across the regions, etc. And what is the motivation? Like, what what is the advantage to anybody? Because I think what they see, unfortunately, although they say, oh, it's not a silver bullet, that is quite clearly how they see it. They see it as a, as a silver bullet that if you control somebody's expenditure, you'll magically make them change behaviours and address issues like drug and alcohol addiction, gambling. Now, on a separate inquiry, which I think is extremely relevant, which is the government's approach, you know, the government through the Welfare Reform Bill wants to bring in drug testing of new recipients onto income, um, new recipients or people that are applying for income support. Now, overwhelmingly, the expert advisors, the people that have that expertise in drug and alcohol addiction are saying this is a flawed approach. You don't change people's addiction is a health issue. You don't change people's um, addictions by simply restricting their access to uh, cash. So it's a flawed approach, but that's the philosophy that they're, they're coming from. Clearly demonstrated not to work from the Northern Territory in terms of income management, but also in terms of from the, the overwhelming evidence that we've got from the experts in drug and alcohol addictions. We need to be treating this issue as as a health issue and also addressing the underlying causes of disadvantage. Simply restricting somebody's access to cash does not address their disadvantage. It does not address intergenerational trauma and all those issues that we know have led up to the position where... Um, unfortunately, people do have drug and alcohol addictions. And I very much agree that we need to be addressing drug and alcohol and gambling addictions. There's no question about that. We need to be helping people. But it needs to be on a health basis and also a trauma-informed basis, not this top-down punitive approach, which has been demonstrated time and time again not to work. Mm. And when you're talking about disadvantage, we also have the factors of, um, uh, I believe it's since 1994, uh, New Start payments haven't increased in real terms? Yeah, we haven't seen that. We know, can you, uh, I just need to check what's going on in the chamber. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I oh, know it's okay. Sorry, I apologise for that. I'm, okay. I was just, it seemed to be a bit of a break, which is my signal that I need to get in there, but um, somebody else is it up to speak so um we can I, just round this off oh, talking hang on, about hang on sorry mm. okay i do need to go into the chamber yeah okay. well thank sorry. you very much rachel okay thanks okay. bye bye and that was rachel seawitt green senator and opponent of the cashless welfare card scheme you've been listening to women on the edge on Z digital i'm justine riley i've been speaking with katherine wilkes Senator Rachel Seawitt, and I'd like to pay special respects to the Queensland Council of Social Services who spent time backgrounding me on this issue. Music today has been by Charles Bradley with The World Is Going Up In Flames, Good Boy from Bundaberg with Poverty Line, Minimum Wage by They Might Be Giants, and We Heard The Clouds with Pocket. We're going out today with... Woman of the Ghetto by Marlena Shaw. This show was produced as part of the Women on the Edge Community Radio Training Group at the Edge State Library of Queensland. It was funded by the Community Broadcasting Foundation and supported by 4EB and 4ZZZ. Thanks for listening. I was born, raised in a ghetto. I was born and raised in a ghetto. I'm a woman of the ghetto. Won't you listen, won't you listen, won't you listen to me there just later?
your kids in a ghetto? How do you raise your kids in a ghetto? Do you feed one child and starve another? Won't you tell me, legislator? Say, hey, baby, I got ten. 
look at me, I'm clean. So she takes a little dough. What the hell, everybody got to go. I got a baby. I got a baby. I got a baby I want to feed. And I'm not really giving it all up. Just a little ten cent piece or two. The black woman But I ain't gonna raise your babies no more I got a few of my own I wanna keep so on Hey, 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 hey I said, ah, 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 Sexual assault can happen to anyone. The Brisbane Rape and Incest Survivors Support Centre provides counselling and other services to women 15 years and older who have experienced sexual violence at any time in their lives. Services include telephone counselling, information and referrals, individual support and counselling, support groups and workshops. If you need some support or want to learn how to support a friend or family member, you can call the Briss Support Line on 3391-0004 or visit their website www.brissc.org.au. Briss is supported by 4ZZZ and Women on the Edge.